so I've got it, my vaccination. Thanks be to God, last Monday I got shot in the nicest possible sense in a delightful branch of CVS in the beautiful town of Merchantville, New Jersey. So today I give thanks to God uh, for the CDC, the FDA, uh, I have a strong vested interest in being nice to the FDA, Johnson and Johnson, uh, the pharmacist, Miss Nguyen, who injected me, uh, whatever haulage company transported the vaccine from the lab to the pharmacy. Actually, thanks be to God for everything and everyone. It's that kind of day. It's Joy Sunday, the fourth Sunday in Lent. It was 70 degrees on Friday. The clocks have gone forward, and if you are watching this re recorded, you still got the entire service without having to get up early, which never happens. But really, let me encourage you, if you have not been vaccinated yet, register and get yourself vaccinated. If you need help in doing that, please contact our, our deacon intern, Jerry. What Miss Nguyen actually injected into my arm was recombinant replication dash incompetent adenovirus type 26 expressing SARS-CoV-2 spike protein. I hope you're following this. And I was curious to find out how it works, uh, so I googled. Uh, do you want to know what I found? Well, too bad, I'm going to tell you anyway. The Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine is a vector vaccine. In this type of vaccine, genetic material from the COVID-19 virus is inserted into a different weakened live virus, such as an adenovirus. When the weakened virus gets into your cells, it delivers genetic material from the COVID-19 virus that gives your cells instructions to make copies of the S protein. Once your cells display the S protein on their surfaces, your immune system responds by creating antibodies and defensive white blood cells. If you become infected with the COVID-19 virus, the antibodies will fight the virus. Get that? Now, I'm not a scientist, but what I think they're trying to say is that to combat COVID-19, they attached a tiny piece of COVID-19 into another virus and put it in my arm, which is both weird and wonderful. To fight COVID, you inject COVID. To counter the effects of a disease, you receive the cause of the disease. To overcome death, you embrace the means of death. That's what this morning's Bible lessons say. There's that strange instruction from God to Moses in Numbers 
during an infestation of poisonous snakes. Make a poisonous serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. So Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it upon a pole, and whenever a serpent bit someone, that person would look at the serpent of bronze and live. And there's that electric snippet of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus in John. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. To fight COVID, you inject COVID. To be healed of snake bites, you gaze upon a snake. To experience life in all its fullness, you cling to an old, rugged cross, bearing the lifeless body of a saviour. One of the things we're learning in the pandemic is that we, the church, can reach new people. It's a fact and it thrills me. I see the names of people who are subscribing to our YouTube channel or liking our Facebook page and many of them I've never even heard of before and my heart leaps a bit. Something we've been streaming on the Fridays of Lent is the service of the Stations of the Cross. And so far, the four streams have been viewed by a total of 189 people. Now, that's not a massive number. It's less than 50 per week. But when you consider that the in-person service in normal years is attended by around half a dozen people... You want to give thanks to God for how he is at work despite the pandemic, in fact, because of the pandemic. And those 50 viewers a week are doing exactly what Jesus talks about in this gospel passage. They are gazing on the cross of Christ. For 25 minutes, they are stopping, praying reading and gazing. They are staring at a means of death, not just Christ's, but their own. And by gazing on it, they are receiving life. While we're talking about long words, let me say another one. Ophidiophobia. The fear of snakes. It's actually the second most common phobia in the world. Uh, nearly a third of adults are believed to have an intense fear of snakes. It's beaten into second place by spiders. Uh, many of you have heard before that my phobia of choice uh, is heights. Uh, that is the third most common. But being scared of heights 
is way more natural than being scared of spiders and snakes. Uh, literally, it is more natural. Human beings are born with just two fears, loud noises and heights. All others they must learn. Somewhere in our childhoods, an adult told us snakes are dangerous. Or maybe they didn't even tell us. Maybe we picked it up before we could even understand words by observing a parent's response to seeing a snake, seeing the fear in their faces or the revulsion in how they moved their body. But however we learned to be scared of snakes, we learned it early and thoroughly and wisely for the most part. Don't stroke the mamba. Good advice. Snakes and death. Death and snakes. No matter how you say it, it's always true. They go together like complaining and unhappiness. We usually think that complaining is caused by unhappiness, but ancient Israel discovered that the opposite is true. Unhappiness is caused by complaining. We read it in Numbers. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt into this desert? There's no bread and no water, and we detest this miserable food. How is it possible to look back at slavery with nostalgia? But unhappiness follows complaining. In this case, the unhappiness of an infestation of poisonous snakes. Many people die, but many are healed. God provides a vaccine, an antidote to the venom, a bronze snake on a stick. A Bible app called Bible Gateway has published its analysis of visitors to its site last year. So what do you think was the most popular Bible verse in 2020? I'll give you a clue. We just read it. That's right. John 3:16 made famous by its appearances at sports events, etched with sharpies onto day-glow yellow poster board and held up enthusiastically behind the heads of commentators. If there is another Bible verse that is better known than John 3.16, I can't imagine what it is. So come on, you were all taught it in Sunday school. It lives in your bones right next to the Lord's Prayer. All together now. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him may not perish but have everlasting life. Well done. Have an extra cookie at coffee hour. Now... I don't want to rain on John 3.16's parade, but taken out of context, I have worries for it. I think it's possible to make it say something unfortunate, something that John didn't have in mind when he quoted Jesus. You see, 
Is there not a little bit of judging going on if we surgically remove verse 16 with tweezers away from its friends, verse 15 and verse 17? Like Mr. Rogers, every Bible verse needs its neighbours. As I say, I don't want to pour cold water on 316, but the verse that makes me really excited is its neighbour to the right, 317. Take 317 away from 316, and it's all very binary. There are two groups of people, the saved and the perishing, and we all fall into one group or the other. Along comes 317, and 316 appears more nuanced. There's more to God than who's in and who's out. In fact, 317 leads us to think that God is not about exclusion at all, but inclusion. That God's heart is for everyone, that the everlasting arms are open and welcoming and literally dying so that none may be excluded. God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Caroline Lewis professor of preaching at Luther Seminary in Minnesota, shares my unease at taking 316 on its own and leaving 317 behind. She says, Motivations for John 316, being one's favourite Bible verse, might be somewhat questionable. Does it hang on a wall, appear on a plaque, fly across computer monitors as a screensaver because people really believe God loves the world or because they appreciate frequent reminders that they are saved and others are not. Is John 3.16 in peril of losing its voice of promise because rather than being a claim of assurance, it's used as an injunction for judgment? Because, rather than being a statement about God's love for the world, it's a threat to those unwilling to accept God's love. Because rather than heard as an invitation to participate in spreading God's love, it's a summons to exclude those we think God does not love. Note, Lewis and I are not being critical of the verse itself, but of some of the people who quote it out of context. So what's your poison? What is it that kills you? Anxiety? Fear? Anger? Guilt? Self-righteousness? Greed? We've all got our poison, our kryptonite, that thing that trips us up time after time, that causes us pain and spoils our relationships. What is your poison? What colour is your snake? Green for envy, red for uncontrolled passion, yellow for cowardice. 
Today, let us take the vaccine. Let us come to the cross of Christ and let us see there the antidote to the human condition. When a willing victim who has committed no treachery is killed in a traitor's stead, the table will crack and death itself will start working backwards, said C.S. Lewis. And he was right, because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Amen. Amen.